glad that you came to be with us. And next, we're always honored that you would choose to spend your Sundays with us. It's our mission in here every Sunday to give you material that will challenge you and that will inspire you, but also to, um, to help you to be encouraged to grow. And I know that the, uh, the man that's about to come up here and talk to you today uh, will do that because he challenges me. Uh, he's one of my closest friends, and uh, I cannot tell you where I would be or the type of person that I would be if it weren't for Nathan Henson's influence in my life. He's a great guy. He can build anything. Just ask him. Uh, he, he, he's, he's got that, he's got that, that touch. But um, I, I love Nathan Henson, and I'm glad. I, I want to get out of the way quickly to give him as much time as he needs. But would you welcome Nathan Henson to next this morning? We're glad that you're here. Nathan, come talk to us. Thanks, Coop. Uh, he uh, has got a better way with words than I do. And he doesn't uh, let other people come up here and, and talk enough. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It's because he does such a good job. But the problem with that is we don't get a chance to brag on him and the good job that he does uh, in the class. So um, I know I, you know I say this every time, but so grateful to him and so grateful for what he's built in this class and uh, grateful for you all. And thanks for uh, putting up with me today. So has anybody ever Googled yourself? So anyone went, th we got one. Okay, so I, you Googled yourself too. So I did the equivalent of that and uh, I went back and I, I said, you know, I don't, I've talked a handful of times here at Grace. I don't know how many, so I want to go back and look and see how many times that was. So I went back and listened to my first message that I t uh, spoke to next back in October of 2015. And let me just tell you, that was horrible. It was a horrible experience i told coop i said i don't why did you have me back that was terrible i said i'd literally i turned it off because uh i was that just disgusted with it uh he said he's like well i don't remember it which tells you everything you need to know he said he said he said he said but it couldn't have been that bad because i invited you back so uh yeah right so uh so then after that i went down this rabbit hole and actually did google myself because uh, i was just curious and uh so uh, Renita, like put that picture up there when you google me this is the guy that that comes up um he's like the first the first five articles are nathan henson if you google me that's me he's this guy horrible story of this guy that killed his wife and child and is now waiting to stand trial for it but he's unfit to stand trial uh so yeah, sad story. That's me. So if you Google me, that's that's me. So um, yeah, that's so now that I'm depressed, let's go ahead and jump in to uh, to what God's got for us today. I, I normally try to get, uh, you know, creative and, and uh, with, with my titles and I try to kind of uh, you can take that picture down, please. Thank you. Uh, you <laughs> Uh, try to get creative and, and, you know, cute with my titles. We're not going to do that today. We're going to get kind of meat and potatoes. Uh, she, uh, I'm going to have Renita go ahead and put it up there. We're going to talk about dreams, interpretations, and you. Uh, and we're going to be just kind of meat and potatoes today, as, as, as meat and potatoes we, as we can be about, uh, about dreams. And it's really a simple thought, but it's something that God's been, been really working with me on and, and dealing with me on uh, for a while. So uh, I know he's got something for us today. If that doesn't come across, that's not God's fault. That's that's my fault. So you can uh, you can blame me for not relaying that message uh, appropriately. Um, but every time I do, right? Every time I speak, I uh, I like to go back and, and just remind myself of of our theme of of, of what our theme as a church and our theme as a class. And you know, our theme in, in next is obviously to serve. 
uh, and, and I'm reminded that the ultimate goal and, and, and vision for this class is, uh, yes, immediately it's serving, but, but more long-term, it's next, right? It's to progress us, it's to keep us moving forward, it's for us to find the next step. Um, and, and that's, you know, what Jason does a good job of, of outlining for us every week and, and how we have to continually move forward. We have to, to keep moving forward, but more importantly than that, we have to move forward with a general understanding of where we're headed to and where we're, where we're going. And that's why I'm thankful for a church that encourages and promotes having a dream and a vision for your life, right? As most of you that, if you, if you work for a company, if you've uh, been in any type of organization, you know that it typically moves in the direction of leadership. And sometimes that's a really good thing. And sometimes that's a really bad thing. Um, but what I'm thankful for is, you know, to be a part of a church with leadership that supports and encourages us to dream. And, you know, we have a, we have a, a, a purpose as a church to be a refuge of hope, healing, and restoration for the community. We have a church vision. We want people to know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. All right. I think it's sinking in. We have a, we have a vision for, for, for our different serve teams. Uh, you know, we want purposeful direction and guidance for how we'll fulfill God's role in the kingdom. And, and uh, you know, we, we do that under the guidance of pastor and the, the overall church vision. A pastor promotes a personal vision for us. He's spoken on that multiple times, and he wants us to, to have personal vision and a dream for the direction of our lives. And we even, two years ago, we even had a, that was our, our theme for the year, right? It was dream big. It was, you know, challenge people to set aside the constraints uh, and, and just dream for what could be. And, and that's really kind of what I want to tap into today, for, you know, at least for the first part of this is, you know, what could God accomplish in us and through us if we really let him and if we really dreamed? So digging into dreams a little bit, what, what does it mean to dream. I'm not, I'm not talking about the wake up in the middle of the night, you're in a cold sweat because you've been running through peanut butter with a clown chasing you, right? The weird, that's because that's you had pizza. That's not, a, that's not a God thing. That's not a Jesus thing. Uh, but God does speak to us through dreams. Um, and, but that gets interesting sometimes because it gets into that pizza versus prophecy debate. And you're like, was it a God thing? Was it a pizza thing? I don't, I don't really know. Um, and, and, you know, specifically in the Old Testament, God did this a lot. And uh, it, it, it sort of reminded me as I was going through this, um, my dad really uh, took a lot of stock in his dreams growing up. And so he would come to us all the time, be like, I had a dream. It might have been from God. I don't know, son, but I just want to let you know about it. And the one that, that stuck out to me and scarred me for life, he came to me one day. He was like, he was like son, I had this dream, and you cut your arm off on a table saw walking through the shop. He's like, so just want to let you know that. Just keep going on about your day. Uh, and, you know, just, you know, be careful because that's probably going to happen. And he just, like, rolls out, you know. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I'm, I'm little. And so I'm the, my whole next, next week for me was a, um, like some this final destination movie where I'm just waiting on my ultimate goal of, of running into this table saw at some point, right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to rain and the roof's going to leak and I'm going to slip and the saw's going to come on. And I'm going to, you know, it's, it's, it's like scarred me for life. I'm, like, taking the, going around the outside of the, of the shop to avoid that thing. Uh, and it scarred me, but it's, it's interesting, God, right, because God does that. I don't want to discredit that and, and how he speaks to us through dreams, but it's not always a dream. Uh, that's not always how he speaks to us, and that's not ultimately what I'm talking about today is, is you know, when we sleep and, 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 uh, and, and dream in that way. I'm talking about vision and sort of where we want to head and, and the direction and goal for our lives, and I like the quote from Lewis Carroll. I think I might have mentioned or quoted this before, but it says, if you don't know where you're headed, any road will get you there. I really like that because, again, it's not enough just to, to move and progress and move forward. We have to be intentional about that. And uh, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, I'll read in the good old King James. It says, Where is, there is no vision the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. 
And we quote that a lot. Uh, if, I'm, I'm going to read that in the message, too, because uh, it's got a slightly different translation. It says, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they're most blessed. And that's what I want to be. I want to be the most blessed. I want, I want God to have vision and, and, and purpose in my life. And I, I want to be intentional um, uh, about what I'm doing and to be, to be the most that God has for me and to be the most blessed. So, yep, I get it, right? We have to dream. Got it. We need it. not just a dream, but a dream that's unique to us. We talk about that all the time. Got it. So let's, let's talk about the, the first big idea, number one. And that's don't rely on God to give you your dream because it's your dream. So you dream it. And, and, and think about that for a second. Think about your, think about your dream home. Anybody got a dream home that, if, that you may, may, or not be, may or may not be living in right now? And what it, think about what that looks like, right? Are you imagining a, a front porch maybe that wraps around the whole house? Or you know, are you thinking it's got tons of, of acreage where you don't have any neighbors around to bother you to build retaining walls between you or to come borrow your stuff and never bring it back, right? But you have some neighbors because they're just close enough where if you need to borrow something or if you have an emergency, uh, they're around, um, yeah, but, not, but not enough to bother you. And, 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 and somehow, even with all this land, you never have to mow the grass, you don't have to water the lawn, it just takes care of itself. That's, that's my dream home, right? That's what that looks like. Yeah. Did God give me that dream? No, he didn't. It's my dream, right? I didn't have to, I, it's not like I was sitting around in my house one day saying, I just don't know what my house is going to look like one day, and I really need God to reveal this to me. And he just, bam, said, this is the dream for you, and this is the house that you should have, right? It didn't work that way. That's not, that's not how the dream worked. Uh, and same thing with other aspects of our lives. Think about your dream job, because anybody have that? It's, it may, it's, if you're like me, it's not the one you're in right now, right? But maybe it's, the, and maybe it's not quite the dream job you should have. Maybe it's the one where you want to work 20 hours a week and, and have three times the paycheck, Right, where you have the, the boss who never gets on your case and, and, and really appreciates your work, or maybe you have that coworker who doesn't overshare and doesn't take personal phone calls in the cube right next to you on speakerphone. None of that happens. God didn't give me that dream either. He didn't, and he probably didn't give you that dream job either. Right? Uh, I dreamed that up all by myself. What about your dream spouse? Oh, that's good. I put that in my notes. Let's not let's not go there. I'm seeing let's. Let's, let's, let's move along from there. I ask, Court all the, I ask Court that all the time, actually. I ask her, I say, what's it like to be married to your dream spouse? What is that like? She says, I don't know. I was hoping you could tell me. I had no idea. Um, the point is, right, that God informs the dream, but he doesn't dream it for you. He helps shape it because he helps shape us, and he informs it because he informs us, hopefully, uh, but, but he doesn't dream the dream for us, and it's, and it's important that we not just have a dream, but that we have one that, that fulfills his role and his call for us and, and what he wants us to do. And, and that it's not a dream that's for us. And, and sure, we can have a job and we can have a, a, you know, a house and all those things, but what's the real purpose behind those? And if he really informs us, he's going to inform and shape that dream to fulfill a purpose that really matters. Because I, I, you know, I don't know about you, but I don't want to exist just to exist. I don't, I don't want to spend all my time working to, you know, and, and not establish real relationships. You know, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to work just to buy stuff, although I like stuff. I think you probably like stuff, too. I don't want to work to just go on vacations, but I do like those, too. And, you know, I don't want to come to church every week and just be part and not be part of fulfilling our mission, right? Our lives have to be for more than that because we were made for more than that. 
what's our legacy going to be like? What will we, what will we leave? What, what, when we fulfill our dream, what's that going to look like? So if I were to take a, a, a poll in here and, and say like, you know, who has a dream? What does a dream look like? I'd probably get a, it'd probably be a mixed bag. Some of you would say, you know, I, you know, I may or may not have one. I've got, you know, I'm not really sure. You know, some of you might may be like, yeah, I've got like a bucket list. I have it all written down. I know exactly what I want to do. Some of you like Steve Bunch, I bet Steve probably has it probably have a dream board, right? Where he cuts out collages and like tapes it. That, that looks like he's not paying attention. So I'm gonna keep picking on him, but that does look like something he would, uh, he would do, doesn't it? But Let's look at the four different, there, to me, there are four different types of dreamers. Um, and let's look at those for a second. The first is people with no dreams. So this is a pretty easy one. As you might could tell from my title, you don't want to be in this group. Uh, we already mentioned Proverbs 29:18, uh, where, where it says, for lack of vision, and the people perish. You have, if you have no dream, you know, no godly goal, you're perish. And the NIV says, actually says you'll be cut off. You'll be aimless, just sort of wandering about uh, if, if, if you don't have vision and don't have purpose. So there's no structure, there's no order, there's no purpose. You kind of exist just to exist, right? In that kind of list I was talking about before. Uh, and I think people get stuck here, and, and, and I don't think it's on purpose, but I think we're, we're tricked in, in, in some cases into getting into this win-then mentality where yeah, it's always something that's got to happen before I, can, before I can set my goal or my vision or before I can try to accomplish that. So, you know, when I get done with this big project at work, well, then I'll focus on me and, 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 and focus on my goals. Or, you know, when, when the kids get out of school, then I'll, you know, I'll, I'll do what I'm supposed to do. And, and I don't know, does, does anybody feel that way? You get kind of stuck in this, like, there's this next sort of hill over there. And once I get past that, it's going to be the... the you know, it's going to be the, the end, and then I'll, I'll be able to focus. I think I told a, a story when I taught one of those other times about when we were canoeing, and you, you, know, you go in this endless, like, stream of, of turns, and you're like, all right, around this next turn, that's going to be it. That's going to be, you get around, and it's like, there's another turn up there, like, and the turns never end, right? Life feels like that sometimes, and you, you get stuck in this, like, well, you know, when summer comes, th then I'll, I'll start, and, you know, the, the, we put these artificial barriers in front of ourselves, and we trick ourselves into thinking, that it's planning, but it's really just procrastination. And the truth is that we have a limited window to act. And so now, says in Isaiah, now is the time for God's favor. We need to act now and not wait. Mark Twain uh, said, the secret of getting ahead is getting started. And, and BT, another wise uh, philosopher, uh, when I was talking to him about something recently and, and, and what I should do, I was like, man, I just don't know how to get it done. And he said, well, the best way to get something done is just to start doing it. And I think he might have stole that from Winnie the Pooh or something. I don't know, but who knows where BT gets his stuff from. But I was like, that's, uh, that's pretty profound. That's, uh, and you're right. Okay, I guess that's true. Um, the, uh, there's a story of a lady. Uh, she was put into a, into a mental institution, and she was there for three months. And she made a, a strange request. She said, you know, she asked the staff there. She said, I want a larger room, and I'd like a large canvas and a lot of paint. And they said, Okay, well, they, they, they were curious, so they fulfilled a request. And so after, she said, she said, I'm gonna work on my life's work during this time. And so after six months, she invited everyone in and, and set them all around. And she pulled back the curtain and revealed her masterpiece, a blank white canvas with not one paint stroke on the wall. And so everyone sat around kind of awkwardly for a little while, trying to just be nice, trying to say like, I don't know what's going on with this, you know? and. Uh, and, and uh, finally, the, the, uh, the administrator spoke up and said, well, what is it? Tell us about your, about your painting, about what, you, you know, what you've done here. And, uh, and, and she responded, well, it's the children of Israel crossing the Red Sea. And everyone just kind of nodded, and they said, okay. Well, you know, someone said, well, um, 
where, you know, where is the sea? Where's, what, what's going on with the sea? She said, oh, it's parted. One of it's on this side of the canvas, and the other one's on this other side of the canvas. And they said, oh, okay. And someone said, well, where are the children of Israel? She said, oh, they already moved on. So they're on the other side of the canvas. They moved on. They moved on past it. And then somebody else spoke up, and they said, well, where's the Egyptian army? They said, well, they haven't arrived yet. They're, they're on this side. They're waiting to, to get to the canvas. And so the point is, right, some of us live our lives, and we never make a mark on our canvas. We never, we never do anything. And, and we get stuck in this, you know, analysis stage or get stuck in, in doing things that don't actually make a difference and don't actually matter. Um, and that's not where I want to be. That's not where I want to be. The, the, uh, the, the second group are, are folks, not just the folks that have no dream, the second group is the folks that have a vague dream. And these folks have a, a picture of what God's, you know, a, a vague or fuzzy picture of what God's called them or impressed them to do, but no clear direction on what that vision's for. And I, you know, vision is something near and dear to my heart because as you can, I'm blind. I got some, uh, some new glasses this past week and I hate them. And uh, I don't like going to the eye doctor. I don't like going to get my vision checked. Anybody who has glasses can probably relate to that. And I don't like it because I'm blind and it makes me, uh, I don't feel good. It's like going to the dentist and you're having cavities every time, right? They go and they're like, yep, yeah, you're still blind. You can't see a thing. So uh, we got to, you know, we're going to deal with that. And then they, they put you in that chair. I don't know if you, any of you have ever been to it, but it shoots this puff of air into your eye and it's, it gives you this anxiety because you're just sitting there waiting and they're like sir can you please put your face go to, like you're gonna put the air in my eye I don't want to get close to the thing and it just gives you this anxiety the whole time and then you know the, your reward for getting through that is you get to the to the the dark room where they dilate your eyes where you can't see anything and then they put the that uh, screen in front of you that uh, what I've realized uh, through all my years of living is that it doesn't matter what I do or how old I get I'm never going to be able to read that thing ever I, it doesn't matter what lens they put up there I will never be able to read it clearly I, the exchange goes something like sir can you read the bottom line and I'm uh, you know I'm looking through it and I'm trying to read and I get through it and I get to the end I'm like a t I don't know something I don't yeah okay, is that it and she's like okay that was great now can you read the bottom line I'm like there's another line okay all right, I guess I'll, uh, I guess I'll try to read that one now. Um, and the, <laughs> the point is, and what I learned after a while, right, is, is it doesn't matter what, for, and maybe that's just me because I'm just blind as a bat, but um, the, I'm never going to be able to see that thing 100% clear. And, but what I realized is it ultimately does not matter because I can still live my life and I can still do the things that I need to do and see well enough to know what I need to do. Um, and that's probably a silly example, but the, but the point is, Obviously, the parallel is, you know, we want, you know, you know, spiritually speaking, we don't want to be Mr. Magoo going around bumping into everything, right? And we also don't want to have, you know, not know where we're headed. But you, even if your vision and your dream is vague, it's, it, it, you know, God willing, it's, it's enough for you to be able to move forward and, and, and to, to try to get it clear and to keep moving forward. You know, Charles Schultz. He was the writer of Peanuts, and he retired in 1999. And when he retired, he said he didn't want anybody else to write Peanuts, and so they were just they would just keep doing reruns. And so they interviewed him and asked him, you know, why do you write Peanuts? Why do you write about cartoon characters, about Charlie Brown and Snoopy and Linus and all these? And he said, why do you what's why do you do that with your life? And he you know he kind of thought about it for a second. And he said, well, everybody has to write something, so I just chose to write about that. And then, he, but what I thought was interesting was he turned the question around the interviewer and he said, but what are you writing? What are you doing? And uh, I don't know how the interviewer responded, but to me, I thought that was, that was really profound and interesting, right? Because if you turn it around on us, we like to kind of look at what other people are doing and judge them for that. But what are we doing? 
what are, what are we writing? What are we putting on our canvas, right? Um, there's, this, there's this horrible phrase at work that we like to use sometimes. I, I used it earlier, paralysis and analysis paralysis. And I, I hate that phrase. But we basically, you know, most of you are familiar with it. It means you never do anything because you're stuck the whole time analyzing, okay, well, what if I did this and then that messed up? And then, well, if I did this and then I, I don't know if that would work out. And you just get stuck never doing anything because you're analyzing the whole time. And that's not where I want to be, right? I want to... I want to move forward and to have a course of action. I want to, you know, get the spirit of my buddy AD, right? Whereas even if I'm picking the wrong road, I'm picking a road, and we're going to go. And if that's the wrong road, we'll figure it out, and we'll move on to a different road. But you don't get stuck, right? It says in Ecclesiastes 11.4, it says, Farmers who wait for perfect weather will never, will never plant. If they watch every cloud, they'll never harvest. we got to move, even if our dream's vague. All right, third, third group. People with wrong dreams. So this can be a variety of things, but you know, ultimately, if God is the center of our lives, then our dreams should either involve or revolve around Him. And you know, some some people are focused on careers. You know, we talked about that a little bit before. You know, a career for the sake of money is something to live on, not something to live for. And you know, it's interesting. They surveyed uh, folks who had who had uh, in all different sort of economic classes. If you made a lot of money, and if you, if you made a little bit of money, whether you made you know ten thousand dollars a year, a million dollars a year, whatever it was, they surveyed everybody, and they said, you know, how much more money would you need to be able to, to be comfortable and to live comfortably? And as you might imagine, literally everyone across the board said, well, just a little bit more. I just need a little bit more. It's not quite enough. Um, and I think the point there, right, is. If we live for the sake of career and for the sake of comfort, it's never going to be enough. We'll never be ready. We'll never be comfortable uh, b- because our lives are for more than that. We're called for more than that. There's a concept uh, for some of you sports fans called for some of you sports fans called the disease of more. I don't know if, if if you've heard of it. It was first coined by Pat Riley, who was a Hall of Fame coach, and he led uh, you know six teams to NBA championships. And uh, they eventually, uh, the, the purpose of it is if you have a, a, a team that runs through and wins the championship, the next year they have a really strong likelihood of getting knocked off or getting dethroned, right? And, and they asked him, because he had so many uh, successes, they said, well, why is that? And he said, well, the, the, the point is you get this disease of more where you need more, but that more is no longer the championship. The more is the endorsements and the accolades and the other things, and those become more important than your ultimate goal and what the goal originally was. I thought that had some interesting, interesting parallels for us, right? Because in a, in a, in a simplified way, he's really saying this team's suffering fr- from losing sight of what they were originally trying to accomplish, right? They lost their focus. They started focusing on the wrong dream. And I'm, I'm sure most of you are familiar with the concept of, of, of a bucket list. We talked about that. If we, were to, if we were to go through and really do a bucket list in here, what, what would that look like for us? What would that dream look like? Is it the right dreams or is it the wrong dreams? A quick Google search of the top bucket listed items was uh, involved going base jumping, solving a Rubik's Cube, crowd surfing in a huge concert, going zorbing, which I did not know what it was, so I Googled it, and now I want to do that really badly. Um, you can go Google it. Um, stay, uh, Z-O-R-B-I-N-G. It's those big clear balls that you run around in and like bump into people. Um, Stay, <laughs> stay at an underwater hotel in Fiji or in seeing the northern lights. Those are all good things. Those are all great things. I would want to do all of those things. Well, some of those things. I wouldn't want to do all of those things, right? But, you know, are they the dreams we should be dreaming? Are they the, if we were to have our biblical bucket list today, what would that look like? Would it look like that? Or would it look like repairing a damaged relationship or having our entire workplace saved or, or being utilized in your gifting so much that it might take you away from grace? 
that's a like sorry to to like burst that bubble right what would our bucket list and our dream look like if we were to dream big and you know if you feel this is you today would be a good time to re-examine what that bucket list is and let god help shape the dreams and and really filter whether they're right they're the right dreams okay last group of dreamers people with stale dreams your dream could be stale for a variety of reasons maybe you know you're stuck in that win then mentality i talked about before maybe you're afraid maybe you know sometimes we're just paralyzed with fear right but it says in philippians 4 do not be anxious for anything but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving make your request known to god pray about it don't live in fear if if you're if you're stuck in a stale dream get past it right got pray about it god can god can help with that he doesn't he doesn't give us the spirit of fear we have to get the motivation to keep moving forward. And I'm, I'm reminded of what, you know, Brother Klein has talked about, because, you know, because sometimes what, maybe, we're, maybe we're stuck from fear. Maybe we're just stuck in a season. Maybe we're stuck in a, in a valley and, and stuck in a weird spot. And you're like, yeah, I don't, you know, Nate, God, I, I don't, not that we're the same thing. Uh, but, you know, you're, maybe you're thinking, I, I, don't, um, I don't feel like dreaming right now. I'm stuck in this weird spot, and I feel like I've been here forever, and I'm not moving anywhere. I'm just in a you know, we talk about hills and valleys. I'm in a valley right now. And that's just the reality of where it's at. I'm reminded of what Brother Kleindent said when he said, you don't grow in mountains, you grow in valleys so that you can, uh, you know, scale the mountains. I thought that was really interesting. Um, and, and, you know, it, 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 if this is you, there's a difference between being complacent and being content because the former says you're stuck and refusing to, to work to improve. And the latter says you're happy with where you are, but you're working in this season so that you'll be equipped for the next one. And that's what I want to be. I, I, want, I want to be, I don't want to be lazy, it's, you know, spiritually speaking, I want to be, I want to be working. You know, it says in Proverbs chapter 24, a nap here, a nap there, a day off here, a day off there, sit back and take it easy. Do you know what comes next? Just this, you can look forward to dirt poor life with poverty as your permanent house guest. And we like to, you know, we like to look at that in terms of working. Um, but from a, you know, from a spiritual perspective, from a calling perspective, it, to me, it's just as, just as applicable. All right, how am I doing on time? Not good. Okay, so uh, so let's move on to the next section. Let's talk. Let's talk about not just dreams. Let's talk about interpretations, because dreams are necessary, and and they're a great first step. But what do they really mean, right? And how are we going to accomplish them? That's that that's really the main point, right? Uh, in the dream, so in the dreaming process, right? What I, what I kind of tried to lay out before is we're the driver, and Jesus kind of takes the back seat, right? He 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 says it's your dream, you dream it, but I want to help you inform it. Well, in this kind of leg of the journey. And the interpretation leg of the journey, this is where we say Jesus take the wheel, right? And, and we're more than happy to let him do that because if you're in like one of those dreamers I was talking about before, you're like, I'm not doing so good at this driving thing, Jesus. You take this anyway because I'm about to run off into the ditch here. Um, but, you know, we, we get, uh, you know, uncomfortable with that because we're like, you know, Jesus interpret my dream for me. Help me figure out how, how am I going to accomplish it? But then when he, you know, when he starts convicting us, when he starts stretching us, when he starts making us uncomfortable, you know, it, 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 we really start to get a problem with that, uh, and, and it's, just, it's just interesting when, when that happens. Uh, and, you know, the reality is that God's ways don't always make sense, right? And we, everybody knows, anybody familiar with the, the verse, God works in mysterious ways? Everybody familiar with that? Well, that's not a verse I've realized whenever I was going through this, uh, but it's actually not in the Bible. It's actually from a poem that was written in 1773 by William Cooper. I'm sorry, William Cooper. And uh, he wrote that uh, just before attempting suicide. So I don't, just an interesting 
tidbit there that I think informs his, uh, his, his process whenever he was writing that. But God's word doesn't say that he works in mysterious ways. In fact, it, it does talk about mysteries. It says that great is the mystery of godliness in 1 Timothy. It says, you know, the mystery, it talks about the mystery of God's glory in Colossians. It says the rapture is a mystery in 1 Corinthians. But, and so who God is and what his glory is, is mysterious to us. We can't understand that and we can't know that. But, and it, and it says where we're headed, right? Ultimate, our ultimate destination, that's a mystery to us. But God's working in our life is never meant to be mysterious to us right? That's, that leads me to big idea number two. God doesn't want what he's doing in your life to remain a mystery. He wants to reveal it to you. And, and let's look at some word that, that, that talks about that. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, no one can know a person's thoughts except the person's own spirit, and no one can know God's thoughts except God's spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the spirit of the world, so we can know the wonderful thing that God has freely given us. So it's like, you know, A plus B equals C. If you can't know the intent unless you have the spirit, but we have God's spirit. I think that means we know God's intent. I think that's, I think that's how that works, right? Because the Holy Spirit's our interpreter, and only through him can we know and understand the wonderful things that God's freely given us. It says in Jeremiah 33, Call to me, and I will answer you. I'll tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. It seems pretty simple. He's saying if we don't understand it, we don't understand how he's working, we just have to ask him, right? It says in Amos chapter 3, Indeed, the sovereign Lord never does anything until he reveals his plans to his servants and the prophets. So contrary to how it feels to us, it sounds like God's trying to let us know exactly what he's doing. It says he's trying to reveal his plans before he even starts on our behalf. He says he doesn't even want to start working on our behalf until he reveals that to us. And let's look at it like a, what may seem like a really weird example on how to, on how to dive into this. Um, and and let's, let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 where Paul was talking to the Corinthian church. And I, I really wish I wouldn't have put this font so small. It's, it's really, I'm blind, like I mentioned to you earlier. It's an it's a issue. But uh, so, so 1 Corinthians, starting with verse 1, it says, Let love be your highest goal, but you should also desire special abilities that the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will, you will be talking only to God, since people won't be able to understand you. You will be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but, but it will all be mysterious. So basically, if you speak in tongues... No one can understand you but God. And that means that, you know, it will be a mystery to everyone around you. And it's not saying that's wrong. It's just saying that's not really helpful to everyone that's around you. That's, that's basically what, what he's saying in this passage. And let's, I could see some confused faces. So uh, I'm going to get into it. Let's, uh, let's, let's, let's keep reading some scripture first. Let's, we skip down to verse 6. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, if I should come to you speaking in an unknown tongue, how would that help you? But if, but if I bring you revelation or some special knowledge or prophecy or teaching, that will be helpful. Even lifeless instruments, like, like the flute or the harp, must play notes clearly, or no one will be able to, to recognize the melody. And if the bugler doesn't make a clear call, how will the soldiers know that they're being called to battle? It's the same for you. If I speak to people in words they don't understand, or, or they, they don't know what you are saying, you might as well be talking in an empty space. But there are many different languages in the world, and every language has a meaning. But if I don't understand the language, I will be a foreigner to someone who speaks it. And to one who speaks it will be a foreigner to me. And the same is true for you. Since you are so eager to have special abilities the Spirit gives, seek those that will strengthen the whole church. And here's, here's the last verse, the key. So anyone who speaks in tongues should also pray for the ability to interpret what has been said. Sorry, I'm, no, I'm, I'm reading a lot of scriptures here. I know that. Let's, let's, let's look at a couple more, and then I'll, and I'll dive into it. If we, we keep keeping the same passage, jump down to verse 18. It says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you, 
But in a church meeting, I would rather speak five understandable words to help others than 10,000 words in an unknown language. And finally, verse 27, it says, no more than two or three people should speak in tongues, but they must speak one at a time, and someone must interpret what they say. But if no one is present who can interpret, they must remain silent in your church meeting and speak to, in tongues to God privately. So just to clarify, this, obviously, this is, this is not talking about when we have private prayer time and when we speak in tongues privately to God. This is t- talking about in the church setting. You've all, you've all seen tongues and interpretation go forth in church. Paul's trying to explain, you know, how this process should work and, and, and what that looks like. And it's, it's talking about, what, you know, when, when that happens and when those giftings go forth, that he uses some pretty strong language that said if, if God's speaking and there's no interpretation of what's being said, it's better to even not speak. It's better to just remain silent. So if it was true that God wanted what happens to be mysterious, why would that be the case? Why would the interpretation be so important in that, in that process? And if, and if God feels this way about church, you know, about his church and about the things he's trying to communicate to the church, why would he think it's any different or why would it be any different for us individually? Aren't we the church? Aren't we the people he's called in, the, in, in this passage? I mean, he's, he's essentially saying God would, it's essentially to me like saying God would rather not move in our lives at all than to move and have us not understand what he's trying to say or what he's trying to do. Because the interpretation of what he's doing is that important. So I, I, I'm certainly no expert here because I'm, I'm, I've, I've never been used in these particular gifts of the Spirit, um, uh, but uh, you know, in the church environment. Uh, but if you've been around Grace in any uh, period of time, you've seen kind of how this works. Or any apostolic church, you've, you've, you've seen how it works. And um, I know Jason and others are... Um, you know, they're, they're gifted in, in, in these gifts, and they've been used by them. Um, and, and Jason actually smoked, spoke to a small group of us recently about how this works. And I thought there were a couple of key points that he made that, I, that were news to me that I never really, that I never really understood. Um, you know, the, the, the first was that when someone's interpreting these tongues, it happens differently every time. In some cases, the person knows exactly what they're going to say before they say it. And in some cases, they don't. And there's just a first sentence, and there's a step of faith where they have to reach out. By the way, he'll fix this next week if I screw this up, because uh, I'm certainly not the expert in this. I'm, I'm translating this. Um, but the other point that I thought was interesting uh, besides that was that, you know, and, and what stuck out to me was he said that it's an interpretation of tongues. It's not a translation of tongues. And so, you know, this cleared up a lot of confusion I've had over the years about how this stuff works, because sometimes, you know, people will get a y'all or, a, or, or, or what some language that doesn't seem like Jesus would speak that in a, in a tongues of interpretation. And Jesus didn't become a, or God didn't become a southerner in that situation. It's because that person is interpreting the message from God and trying to relay that to the other folks. So their personal circumstances, their hangups, everything that, that, that makes them them is part of that translation process. And so sometimes the interpretation or the translation or the uh, interpretation process, sometimes that gets messed up. And that's why is because we're all human. And, and, uh, and, and we, if we filter that through us, it gets messed up instead of filtering it through God. Um, and, and, and that's, that's really the, the point I'm trying to make here. Tongues is sort of one example of that. Um, but there's larger examples as, as, as well. I, I'm, I'm running out of time. I don't necessarily have, have time to go into this, but the, the, the best example of this that, that we can look at is Joseph's life. And I won't go into to detail on, on uh, Joseph was, was uniquely gifted in interpreting dreams. Yeah. Okay. Are you going to sacrifice me some of your time next door, you said? Oh, okay. All right. In Joseph's life, he has three instances where, uh, he, he, uh, where he interprets dreams, and he was uniquely called to do that. Um, 
I'll, I'll read the first part, and then we'll, I'll kind of paraphrase after that. It says in Genesis 40, Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker and the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them into custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the same, per, in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. And they had been in custody for some time, each two men, the cupbearer, the baker, and the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody to him in the master's house, why do you look sad today? So he said, why are you sad? Uh, you know, because it gets pretty depressing when we have a dream and no interpretation or way to, to, to translate that dream. And so verse 8 is the key because they said, we both had dreams, and they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph, to me, kind of drops the mic here when he says, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. And that's, to me, the point, right? The Holy Spirit is our interpreter. Of our dreams, the, the, the dreams that we have in our life, the Holy Spirit interprets those for us. And, and it goes through the, the examples of the, the three main um, interpretations that Joseph provides. The first is he translate the, translates the dreams for the baker and the cupbearer. And to me, these are parallels to our, to our circumstances in our life and how we have to translate our everyday lives through the vision and the interpretation of God and how God sees those things. The second, and again, sorry, I don't have as much time to go into each of these, but the second is he interprets Pharaoh's dream. And, and, and because he interpreted the first dream, he was given the opportunity to serve later and to, and to come and to interpret Pharaoh's dream. And when he interprets Pharaoh's dream, to me, this is an, an, an analogy for us of how we treat our enemies and how we interpret adversity in our lives and how we have an opportunity to filter that and interpret that through God's lens and God's vision for us, not through us. If we interpret through our hurt and our pain, it looks much differently than if the Holy Spirit's our interpreter for that. And then the last one is Joseph's own dream. So when he was young, when he was 17, he had a dream that, and he saw his brothers bowing down before him. You're probably familiar with the story. And then, you know, later in this passage, uh, essentially because of the, the other things that happened, the other, uh, the other interpretations that happened and, and him revealing Pharaoh's dream, Pharaoh put him in charge over the, um, the gathering of the, of the crops. And so there's years of famine, there was no, um, there's no food, and so it was, it, the, his brothers were forced uh, to go back to him and, and request food, but they didn't know it was him. And so he's in this weird and unique situation where the people who caused him harm and actually put him in the situation that he was in he now has an opportunity to interpret the situation in his, whether in, in through his lens or through God's lens. And, he, and, and what he realized in that moment was that the dream that he had dreamed all those years ago of his brothers bowing down before him, what he, what he fully realized whenever it all comes full circle in the end is that the purpose of that dream was not so that he could have authority over them. It was not so he could have lordship over them. And, and not, God didn't even put him there for that purpose. His purpose was to serve them in that moment. And that, that was his ultimate revelation and interpretation when, it came, when the brothers came back. And, and he, it says he was unable to control himself. He wept and threw himself before him because what he realized was, I had it wrong. When, it, you know, in, when he caused all this hurt early in his life because he told his brothers, you know, I had this dream and, and, and I was lording over you. They got, that was one of the many reasons they were mad at him and, 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 and sold him to slavery. Um, and what he realizes, and, and maturity has a way of kind of doing this for all of us, right? But what he realized towards the end was that that was never the purpose. The purpose wasn't the position. The purpose was so that I can serve. And so, uh, you know, the, the, the last big idea 
and, and I'll sort of wrap it up, up with this, but your dream and the interpretation aren't for you because it's not all about you. It's not about you. Whatever dream God's given you, however he shaped that dream, and, and if we're truly interpreting that through the lens that he wants us to interpret it through, we'll realize and we'll, we'll come to the revelation just like Joseph did, that, it, that ultimate purpose of that is to serve. So again, going back to the silly examples of the house and the, you know, the car and the job and all that stuff, what's the purpose? What's the real interpretation of that? For us, it's to serve. And that's, that's it, it, is it equipping us and, and furthering us to be able to serve? Uh, it says in Psalms 34, it says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And we love to quote that, right? We're like, I delight in God. God, give me, give me my desires, Lord. Please give them to me. Um, when you really look into what that actually means, it's, it's, it's actually the real meaning of the verse doesn't actually, you know, mean it that way. It's, it's we delight ourselves in God. If we continually grow closer to him, he will impart his desires in our heart. So basically he takes our desires and he replaces them. It's a, it's a find and replace with what his desires are. And he imparts those desires into our heart. And that's what I want. That's what I want. And, and, and I, I want God's desires. And, and I want to, I want to dream just in, in conclusion, wrapping this up. I, I want to dream and I want a biblical dream. I want, to, I, want to, I want a dream that stretches me and pushes me more than what I have today. And I don't want to rely on myself or, or get confused in myself on how that's going to happen because ultimately I don't have a say-so in that. God does. God's my interpreter. The Holy Spirit's my interpreter. But more importantly, I want to realize that it's not about me. It's not about me because I'm called to serve. All right, let's pray, and then I'll let you, I'll, I'll release you in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you so much for this group of people that I serve with today. I thank you for the callings, the unique callings you place on each of our lives. God, I pray that you would give us divine direction. I pray that you would stretch us and grow us and have us dream dreams that we can't even imagine today, God. I pray that you would, you would inform us and in what those would be and to dream big to the things that you want to accomplish in our lives. But more importantly, God, I pray that we rely on you because you are our interpreter on, on what happens and how it happens. And I pray that no matter what comes our way, circumstances in life, enemies, job situations, whatever it is, God, I pray that you be our interpreter for those situations and, and that you help us translate those the way it should be translated and what you want. And ultimately, God, we want to fulfill our ultimate purpose for you through all this, and that's to serve others. I pray that you would open up avenues for us to be able to do that so that our dreams help build your kingdom further what you want to do. We give you glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen.